church. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Lord, we ask that you would <coughs> please, uh, as we sang, God, as, as our song has re-engaged our minds with you, uh, we pray now that our hearts, uh, we're, we're putting our hearts before you and saying, God, take our hearts and seal them for your courts above. The preaching of your word does that, God, so I pray that we would be connected to the voice of the Savior, and we would be connected to the voice <coughs> of our shepherd so we can truly be changed and walk that out in this life. We thank you in Jesus' name, and help me not cough too much. In Jesus' name, amen. Our minds, oh, as we looked at, first week time, then last week relationships, this morning we're going to consider our minds. Our minds are always at work even when we're experiencing downtime and we're taking a break. It is estimated that we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day. Now, for guys, it might be 50 to 70 thoughts per day. Uh, one of my daughters asked me that, Dad, is it possible for a guy to think about nothing? Said, Absolutely. To the mystification of every woman on the planet, we can absolutely think about nothing a lot. So we're probably on the 50,000 thought range, maybe less. Ladies, y'all are over it. Y'all got more than just 70,000. But this averages, listen, this averages to about 3,000 thoughts per minute. That's three thoughts per second. We think about everything all the time, but the vast majority of our thoughts don't accomplish anything. It's a lot of smudges on the windshield. I like this song. Never mind. I thought it was another song. I hate this song. Why does she chew so loudly? He stinks all the time. My ears don't match up on my head. I hope the saints win. I can't stand Tom Brady. I hope church is good. Oh, wait, it's, it's Sunday. Can't, can't wait for summer. I'm bored. What's there to eat? When can I take a nap? We think a lot. And listen, we also live in an age that has put our minds on edge with a constancy to it. The amount, listen, the amount of daily anxiety that we experience in a day coming from all angles, listen, was enough to hospitalize somebody in the 1950s. And we call it normal. Just a normal day. But we live at this verge, this edge of anxiety, we, we live with our minds being bombarded. And now we, we have things coming at us that use stronger language and more forcefulness because our minds have been so dulled by all the stuff going on. Uh, and, and a simple view of the media landscape is filled with words of outrage, unbelief, catastrophe, because they need bigger and bigger words to capture our attention. Because our minds have been dulled, especially in hurricane season. Like every hurricane now is 
you know what they're doing. If you recognize, the culture is using more God references to describe how severe things are. Can't get away from it because God is God. He is there. Now look, it's when all of this, from our devices to our phones, our computers, the, the TV, everything, we now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. A goldfish has an attention span of about nine seconds, and you see it in the bowl. And they're off to something else. Eight seconds, that's us. So we're better than a goldfish at our attention span. Well, worse. We can be distracted faster than a goldfish. As believers, what are we to do with it all? What are we to do with our minds? Amen. We need to be reminded that God has claim on our minds and calls us to engage our minds toward kingdom advancement. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment, the greatest expectation in the whole law, he said it included the mind, Matthew 22, verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Yes, and Jesus knew this day of technology was ahead. See, when God... He, when he regenerates us for salvation, when he sends the Spirit, we repent of our sins, and he sends the Holy Spirit into us, and he makes everything brand new. Everything is new, regenerated for him. He transforms also our minds so we don't have to walk in self-preservation anymore, but now can walk in self-denial. Now, our knee-jerk response is to usually walk through life with self-preservation as our forefront. What do I need to do to preserve what's happening in my life, to preserve uh, what I want to do, the money that I make? How do I keep it all? How do I keep comfort? How do I keep pleasure? But Jesus turned that all upside down. And he said, no, now you're empowered to deny yourself and to shine as a light of his glory in the world that you live in. See, God... Our time, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> our time is God's, our relationships are God's, and our minds are God's. Now, the Apostle Peter tells us there first, we are to be preparing our minds for action and being sober-minded. He encourages the believers that he's writing to, so they are ready, they're alert. Perhaps he has the parables of Jesus in his thoughts, where Jesus told his disciples to be prepared for his coming. Look out, be alert, don't be sleeping, don't be lulled to sleep, be awake, be alert, have your lamps trimmed. Peter doesn't want believers to waste their time on trivial things, but to be reoriented for action. Now what is that action? Prepare your mind for action. The literal phrase there is gird your loins. Gird your minds as if you're girding your lords. What uh, guys who fought in war had big wrong robes, and they used to take them up and tuck them under their girding so they could go out to war. They were ready. They were prepared. That's what Peter's calling on, and the action is the very mission of God in kingdom advancement. Go shine with the light of Jesus in everything. Now, I, I don't think this is a direct thing to be preoccupied with end-of-the-world 
conversations, discussions, and signs that everything's going to... We know the world is going to end. We know that Jesus is coming back. So how should we prepare our minds for that? We should be alert and we should be ready. But you know what we should be doing? Sharing the gospel at every opportunity we can. Sharing the glory of Jesus at every, every turn. Perspectives on the looming days ahead for the church and for Christians should cause us to look for gospel conversations. To look for those gospel opportunities that God puts in our way to shine the light that he's given us, put in us by, by the Spirit. Now the concept of being sober-minded, prepare your minds for action, be, be on the mission of God. He's saying in sober-mindedness, he's pitting this against, uh, he's saying it, be spiritually, mentally alert, don't be dulled in your, your mind like drunkenness dulls the mind. We're not just sedate our minds with drunkenness so we can cope or escape. We have the power of Christ to transform. He has transformed and we're growing in that transformation. So now we are to be discerning and disciplined in our minds. That's a sober-mindedness. The discernment starts with paying attention to what our eyes see. We need to be discerning in life. Luke 11, Jesus says, your eye is the lamp of your body. Now, I, disclaimer, if you have the notes, there's a lot of scriptures in here. Uh, I'm not doing that to bombard us. It's the truth, and, and I want you to have something to go reference, to be able to say, well, I think I'm Sermon on the Mind. What was that verse? Hopefully this can help you with that. Jesus says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So look, Jesus is making a very clear connection, a one-for-one -one connection. If you want your light to shine, pay attention to what you're looking at. Uh, we know this. We know this from the allure of everything visual that's so tantalizing and addictive. We, we want, we put our minds to sleep by giving it over to something that will just give us something so we don't have to think. But we're not being discerning in that moment. Spiritual alertness needs to show up even when we veg out out of weariness of a work day or the week. We just, we, uh, I, I'm so weary today, I, I have a, a few hours, I'm just going to binge watch YouTube or a series on uh, some other media platform. But we need to remember that media platform, the internet itself, is never, ever neutral. Never. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he, he would devour. And now his sneakiness shows up, ad streams on the side of a news feed, in, in uh, websites that are geared to attract you and keep you. You've seen, uh, I forget the name of it, The Social Network, I think is the name of the movie, or a little documentary, interviews all of these guys who invented what we now 
find as normal. Interviewed the guy that inventing infinite scrolling on your phone. Invented it. Smart dudes. Young. They're all in their early 30s. They invented it when they were in 20s. What are we doing? I can mow my grass in 45 minutes. Right? I can do it with my life. But I digress. <laughs> Smart guys. They were precise in Google, Pinterest, Facebook, all the platforms. So precise in how to keep you. Even, this is scary, the notifications that you get on your phone because you haven't been on their site in a while and they're showing you, oh, your friend is doing this. What's going on there? Haven't talked to this friend in a while. They're, they're igniting this uh, all in the name of connection to bring you in and keep you. We have to be very discerning when it comes to anything, social media, internet-based, anything. We have to be discerning. Listen, church, we live in a world that hates the Lord, hates Jesus, and is using the internet to destroy our minds, but destroy relationships. From... Having us think particular ways, there's a reason that your Facebook feed always has things that you agree with. Because their algorithms give everything that you agree with. But then all of a sudden they get pornography in front of people, stuck in a way that they can never ever feel like they can escape. And now we live in a culture that wants to normalize that experience. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you struggle with sex addiction? That's normal for everybody. That's fine. Now they, they want wives to go to therapy to understand how their husbands are addicted to sex, but just to cope with it, live with it, free him for when he needs to do that. That is not what we see in the scriptures. We see God giving us renewed minds so we can walk in holiness, which we'll get to. I'm jumping ahead. 2 Peter 2.8, the story of Lot. Uh, well, Peter references Lot. He says this, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, Sodom and Gomorrah, destruction, uh, uh, all sorts of unrighteousness and impurity. said so he was tormenting, Lot was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. We have to be careful and we have to be discerning because we live in a culture that will erode, seeks to erode every aspect of who we are in Christ and just wants to beat us down. Satan can't take the spirit from us, but he can beat us down so much that we don't want our light to shine at all because we're too, too in touch with our shame. Now, that's discerning. We also need to be disciplined. We need to be disciplined in our minds. Uh, and it looks like engaging our minds <coughs> on Christ. We first need to also, uh, in, dis in being disciplined, we need to reduce the amount of noise that's bombarding us. And that could be in different components or, or, or from different avenues in your life specifically to you. But recognizing where the bombardment for you comes from is the key. Is it news? Is it social media? We don't need, listen, we don't need our kids to be quiet so we can binge watch and scroll. 
And my concern is that our parenting becomes, uh, um, let me just pacify my kids so I can just feed the itch of trying to figure out what's going on in other people's lives. We need to put down the information to engage with the vital relationships that God's called us to. We don't need more time to binge. We need more time to calm our minds and to engage with the kingdom perspective that Jesus gives us. And that kingdom perspective is grounded in hope. And that's what Peter says. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the end, uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, set your hope. Listen, we have more control over our minds than we give ourselves credit for or we admit to. Because we use a cluttered mind oftentimes as an excuse for neglecting our obedience to God. I just, I'm just, uh, I just don't know what's going on. I can't think straight. and I just don't. I, uh, let me. Bringing our minds under the control, uh, bringing our minds under control looks like submitting them, submitting our thoughts submitting our hearts to the rule and reign of Jesus. And it looks like calming ourselves by his love. God gives us his love to calm us. There should be moments where everybody can be like a guy and not think about anything, but just think about Jesus. I want to learn how to calm my mind so I can think about Jesus. I don't want to jump to a game. I don't want to jump to a a, a feed. I, I want my mind to rest so I can think about Jesus. And also, it looks like not responding to everything. We live in an age that we feel like we have to respond to everything. Everything that's said and everything that's written. We have to respond. Uh, This means for posts, this means for text messages that you get. When the phone rings, you don't have to answer it. Now, if you're on the receiving end of somebody that has not answered your text, don't be anxious. Don't freak out. Oh no, something's wrong. They're mad at me. I don't know what's going on. And I see the three dots. Oh no. They went away. They were writing something, and then it went away. Something is not right. And we need to give each other grace and freedom to be able to say, I don't have to... I don't have to respond to everything. And that also guards our responses and our shares on social media. We don't have to respond to everything. Reality check. We don't have to like everything. But now, that goofy heart button on Instagram becomes a driving motivation. How many likes have I gotten? And what we have reduced ourselves from is learning how to experience that in the relationships that God's given us. We, we are more in touch with how somebody from church likes our posts and pictures than we are in a relationship where we express that to one another and we care for one another and hug on one another. And we're taking our clues from the culture, church, when we should be teaching the culture how to love. And we should be teaching the culture how to love because of our love for one another. Genuine care. And life on life care. Setting our hope is believing the gospel. When we set our hope on Christ, we believe the gospel. The greatest of all hopes. It is the living hope, Jesus himself. We hope in all that God has done 
to win us for himself and to keep us for himself. That's what Peter did in the first part of this chapter, in this letter that he's giving uh, believers. Before he got to the therefore, whenever you see the therefore in Scripture, it's the, the command. Here's what you need to do, but there's always information beforehand that sets up the therefore. And we don't, we, we are more in touch when we read Scripture, we're more in touch with what we have to do in response to what God has done than we are being overwhelmed with what God has done to save us. And we never move on from that. We don't need three more uh, avenues or keys or something that will, will make God better, our lives better for us. We just need Jesus over and over and over and over again because He will never disappoint. And there's a fountain of living waters that we get to that satis when we drink of it, it satisfies us. And we come back for more and more. But here's what Peter said to them. Here's what God did for you, people. Before you prepare your minds, remember what God did for you. Blessed be the God, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, he has all words, or they, they mean... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Those are the passages that we should love the most in Scripture. Not... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because that's about what I have to do. The focus of that scripture is me. I can do all things. Jesus is there to help me along. No, he's done it all. He's caused me to be born again. He's, I got a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. He did it for me. An inheritance that's imperishable that he's keeping. I didn't qualify for that inheritance. He qualified me for that inheritance and he's guarding me and he's guarding that inheritance to bring that union together when Jesus returns. But that is what excites us about the Christian life. And we need to be good at recognizing all that God has done for us. Those are called indicatives. Things that God has done that we have nothing to do with. So we don't get, I just felt my heart is beating really, really fast. So we don't get squashed by all the calls to obey the calls, those are the imperatives. They're important. The imperatives are important. Our obedience to Jesus is important, but we have to recognize all he's done to give us the power to obey. So the, well, look, well, the indicatives need to fuel the imperatives. What God has done fuels our obedience. So setting our hope in the gospel is highlighting the grace we've received and that awaits us when Jesus returns. We experience grace in that moment. And we think about Jesus and his glorious return and and. More grace awaits us when Jesus is revealed. So look, there's a dual grace thing. Grace happens, uh, the, the grace that's to be revealed is one revealed today in the church. So we know it because of, of the church that God calls us to be. And then more grace awaits for us when Jesus is revealed in the greatest display that's ever been going to be known to man. Setting our minds on Christ is then now operating with grace that fits the occasion. Grace shows up in our lives in two major ways. One is patience, and the other is accountability. So there's grace in patience, Romans 5. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
as stubborn as we have been in our lives, our Christian lives, in not obeying the Lord, he's been gracious to us. He's been patient with us. And so we turn around, we experience that grace and that patience and we turn around and we extend it to those around us as well. And there's also accountability. Titus 2, <clears throat> for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Listen, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's grace appears and trains us to say no to sin, no to ungodliness, so we can live the life he's called us to that is our most enjoyable life. And above all, we need to set our minds on Jesus. Where is he? In heaven. We get to dream about heaven. That's a grace gift to us. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. This is where the, the grace gift of worship aids us tremendously in the Christian life. When our minds are wandering, all be it bombarded, when we take moments to put worship on, it, it is crucial for setting our hope in Christ as we focus on all that God has done for us in Christ. See, whenever we think of Jesus, darkness flees especially when we consider his sacrifice for us on the cross. Darkness has to flee. When he's exalted, he drives darkness away and he draws light to himself. So we need to be, we need to have a good, steady discipline of worship in our lives. Sunday morning, absolutely, but there's also uh, personal worship that needs to take place in our lives. And, and I would say we need to be discerning on what types of music we go after. Sadly, there's a lot of Christian songs that leave us more aware of what we need to do for God rather than what he's done for us. So we need to find songs that will remind us of the indicatives. All that God has done for us that we didn't have anything to do with. He did it all before we were alive. He captured us. He chose us. These are helpful. Now, we want the experience. That's why being together as a church is so powerful because we we need the experience of corporate worship we need to exalt we need to hear people around us singing so please if you're afraid of people hearing you sing don't be afraid we we need to hear one another singing we need to hear the the edifying it's an edifying effect when we exalt jesus because we're gathered up in that so and and we said this numerous different times. Mark has described this. What we look to do during our worship time on Sunday mornings is have uh, what Jesus described to the woman at the well in John 4, that we worship God in spirit and in truth. The truth coming from the, the mighty words that we're singing that Jesus really is the Savior of all mankind and God captured us and He won us and He keeps us and all we have is in Christ. It's nothing we've achieved. That's heady stuff. And we need to think hard about it. But we also want what we experience at the end. Just lingering. Letting the truth soak into us. Because those moments, listen, those moments change us forever. You know, as, as I've thought about my Christian life, there are moments where I am in Scripture and I, I, something changes in me and I recognize the truth that God leaps off the page and it comes after my heart. And I have, I have memories of that. 
Throughout my Christian life, I prayed to receive Christ when I was 11 years old. Didn't really start reading scripture until I was 16. But from that point on, I have moments of later high school and college and young adulthood where God just, he forms me through his word. But I have just as many experiences of being in church and here in worship and being floored by the grace of God. And have, those, those formed me. It doesn't happen the same way when we're sitting on a couch watching a TV, stretching our legs out. It matters. It matters. I know I'm speaking to the choir because you're here. But it captures us. Friday night, our worship time, we want God to use that to capture us more as well. Now, let me, a, a distinction about discerning worship songs. Uh, we need songs. We don't need more songs about how God empowers us to face our Goliaths. We need songs to tell us that we can never face the Goliath Jesus needed to, and he did it. And now we live in the fruit of that. We live in the glory of that. I know I've picked on that a bunch. Gotta keep on saying it. <laughs> we also, we don't want songs to remind us of what, too much, of what God brought us out of. Because remember, we're supposed to be growing in the Christian life, so we don't go after songs that keep us in a former uh, hold. On that, though God, he needs to complete those things and we move on. And he completes those things and we move on. And hopefully we've got worship uh, songs from those seasons of our lives that stick with us. I have mine. I got my list. But look, we have, we have to prepare our minds for the mission of kingdom advancement. We have to ground our hope in uh, the truth of Christ. We need to ground, uh, our, set our hope in the glory of the gospel. And look, the, the direct result is holy conduct. We resemble Jesus. He's holy. God's holy. We are to be holy as he's holy. That can, that sound, and it is a daunting task if we have not already done the work of recognizing all that Jesus has done for us. And when, remember, whenever we resolve to live a godly life, we will be met by the schemes of the devil to tempt us to unbelief. And unbelief shows up in our resignation. I'm just not going to try. Christian life's too hard. Not even going to try. Or it shows, up, it shows up in our performance. And why is unbelief in performance? Because we don't believe that Jesus did it all. We think we need to still do it. We try too hard. And then unbelief also shows up in false beliefs. Believing the wrong thing. Now when we believe the wrong thing, here's what we do. We create little idols. We create little things that we will then bow down to because we want to we seek Relief from a temporal misery from this thing. It could be a person, it could be an object, it could be money, it could be any. Whatever we're attaching our affections to to say, save me from this life that I'm experiencing right now. It'll be vacations. I mean, anything can become that idolatrous craving. But here's what happens, y'all. Those idolatrous cravings become mental strongholds in our lives. And then there's more work to do. We need the body of Christ to pray through that. But listen, Peter warns the believers not to return to the passions that led to misery and heartache that they were familiar with. And those passions came from a former 
ignorance. They didn't know better. Now we know better. So we are not to go back to the wrong belief system or, or even faulty thinking. We're to engage our minds in the hope of Christ. So we are not duped by the allure of sinful passions that are not found in God. You know what Satan does? Satan uses the illusion of pleasure to tempt us to sin. He, he uses uh, affections out there to distract us in an effort to change our minds. So what's he doing? He's going after our affections to affect our minds. But we know from the Christian life what God is saying. It starts in the mind. James describes that. Each person's tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And listen, the, the, Satan himself, he blinds, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he blinds the eyes of unbelievers. Listen, our temptation is not toward being an unbeliever that we're not saved anymore. Our temptation is to believe what we used to believe. That God's not going to be there for us. He hasn't proven himself enough. We have to believe he is there and believe the truths from Scripture that are not, that are not based in necessarily in our experience but in our hope and what God will do. Idols always promise pleasure. They're irrational because it's only a small dose of what's ultimately found in God. Uh, Satan doesn't tempt us to ignore, uh, um, deny God even. Satan doesn't tempt us to do that. Satan just says, look, it's funner over here. It makes more sense over here. But what we've done, whenever we go after idols... It's like celebrating that you've seen the Eiffel Tower, the small one in Vegas. Every time we go after idols, that's what we do. We, we develop these trinkets that are all these small replicas of what we ultimately want out of God. And God says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you everything. Our hearts are wired for the ultimate experience of pleasure with God. But we settle for these inferior imitations that, that have trinkets of experiences so we don't have to wait too long for God to show up or we don't have to go too far to find Him. So holiness is a long process filled with ups and downs, breakdowns and burnouts. But holiness is the promise work of God in our hearts which begins in our minds. Holiness begins in our minds. Thinking about what Je where Jesus is in the heavenlies. From minds engaged with the mission of Christ and the glory of Christ as he's there. The Puritans had a flow of thought that went uh, first, it's, it's from mind goes the heart, affections, then it becomes the will, the actions of our lives. They recognize something about our minds need to be engaged from the scriptures. That's where we have, we don't have set your heart there. So at first think about it well. Love God with all of your mind. And the experience that you'll experience, the experience that will result is God keeping you. Our conduct is always the result of our minds, our thinking. We have to recognize we're replacing our affections, though, and our affections leading us off to think wrong things about God. We need to think rightly about Him so our affections will follow and the obedience that will result. So, Paul tells the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 10, that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul is saying that with an understanding we have the power of the Spirit to do that. 
It's us. We have the power, but look, we're destroying arguments. You know what those arguments usually are? Our own minds. We argue with God about how he's not going to come through and he hasn't paid attention to us enough. Rather than submitting our minds and affections to the rule of Christ. But when we submit those, those arguments are destroyed. When those arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Look, the truth is this. Our joy is in holiness. Because in holiness, we see Jesus. Isaiah 26 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now look, we typically will hear about holiness and expect somebody to rail on us about how we're not holy and we need to do a better job of being holy. But I haven't done that on purpose. Because what what we pray this experience has been is an exalting of God and Jesus and the Spirit in us that just says, I just feel those things fall away when I look at Jesus because that's how we pursue holiness. And we'll find that our lives will stop practicing sin. We'll stop, we'll struggle. It'll be battle, but there should be a mark of overcoming things and moving on to the next one. And those are usually deeper heart issues that God wants to bring to the surface so he can let us know who he is and we can walk in the truth and the newness of life. So what do we do? Is what we do. We renew our minds. We think about God a lot. We think hard about the glory of God. We read the Bible. We read other resources that tell and, and dream and uh, pronounce the glory of God. And we dream big about the glory of God. We dream about God and we think about God until our, until our affections are wrapped up in it. And we stay fixed on the glory of God. And we stay fixed through the, the vehicle gift of worship that glorifies God. Lord, <clears throat> the tall task for us is not how to figure out primarily how we need to stop cursing and stop looking at what we shouldn't at, what we shouldn't look at, or not listening to what we shouldn't listen to. But that's not our our tallest task. Our tallest task is seeing Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would convince us this morning that you you have given us everything pertaining to life and godliness because you have given us your spirit to dwell in our hearts. I pray in this moment we would yield to your spirit and we would drink from rivers of living water that well up with inside of us. And we would know the satisfaction of your presence and the reliability of your truth. And those would keep us coming back more and more. And we would just happen to find out, oh, I don't, I don't talk the same way. I don't look at the same stuff. Father, our task is to be captured by your grace and your love. Accomplish that in our hearts, Father, please, for your glory.